Psalm 23, page 392 in the Church Bibles. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I've got a uh, a friend who's an optimist. You know those kind of people? His wife tells a story about him before they were married. Uh, They were on a date... And she was sitting on a swing in a park and he had a soccer ball there on the grass in front of her. And he kicks the ball and as she swings, it hits her straight in the face. And he's desperately sorry and he's trying to explain that he was trying to kick the ball through the the chains like they were a soccer goal. And she just straight away says, that's the problem with you, Richard. You always overestimate your ability." Knowing Richard, it's hilarious. He's self-confident. He's, he's confident that he can do whatever needs to be done. What about you? Are you an, an optimist or a pessimist? I always like to think of myself as a realist, but I think that's what everyone thinks they are. But as a realist, I've got to admit, I sometimes get a little bit annoyed at optimistic people. I used to share a study with this, this friend at Bible college who was overly optimistic He would never study, and what made it worse was that he would often try to stop me from studying too. We used to drive each other crazy. One time I was was frantically trying to study for end-of-year exams, and he was being overly optimistic as usual, that that everything would be fine. So he was mucking around, and he stole my mouse from my computer. Things escalated pretty quickly, and I did what any normal person would do. I gaff-taped his head as he was sitting there. He quickly tried to protect his head with his hands, so they got gaff-taped in there as well. Sometimes, overly optimistic people, they drive me just a little bit over the edge. They drive me a little bit nuts. And if I'm honest, partly they annoy me because I'm jealous of them. Sometimes I wish that I could just be a bit more like them and have the confidence that they have. I want to just believe that that everything's going to be okay that everything will just work out fine, like they do. Though, as I've gotten older, I've started to realise that sometimes their optimism is actually just a cover of a deeper anxiety and worry that sits below the surface. Whether you're an an optimist or or a pessimist or a realist, we all long for security. We all want to be able to relax and, and... and just know that everything is, is going to work out all right in the end. We all want that kind of confidence in life. Well, this song that we're looking at today, Psalm 23, it's a song about that kind of confidence. It's not a song about self-confidence. It's, it's the absolute opposite of that. This is a song where the writer sees himself as needy. He sees himself as weak and vulnerable on his own but safe and secure in God's care. 
Psalm 23, it's probably the most famous psalm in the Bible. It's one of the most loved psalms in the Bible. It's often associated for some reason with with funerals and death, but you read the words and and it's actually a song all about life. It's a song about living and being led through all of life. It's an incredibly powerful song. And the power of this song is in the power of metaphor. You know, David, he could have written this. The Lord is a God who provides for his people. He is a God who shows his people how to live. He is a God who is powerful and ensures a safe future. He could have written it like this. All these things are true and and they're all there in this song. But to say in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, it actually says so much more. Because David appeals not, not merely to our minds, but to our hearts as well. And for some reason, we often think that we can separate the two, mind and heart. We give intellect prominence over emotion and we suppress emotion or vice versa. We, We give emotion prominence over intellect and suppress intellect. Different people, even different churches can favor one or the other. This song powerfully reminds us that the truth of both, truth and emotion, both are joined together. That's what's happening powerfully in this song. Truth and emotion. God is in control. And in this song, we see the sheer relief that that truth brings, the emotional relief. David has a shepherd. He doesn't need to worry about, like a sheep, where the next meal comes from, doesn't need to worry about the dangers in life. He can outsource his worry to God. What a flood of emotions that brings. Now, before I go on and we get into this song, are you someone who actively is seeking to join your emotions to your walk with God or not? Or are you someone who would prefer to suppress them? You know, in this this fallen world, Our emotions, they don't just fall into line healthily, naturally. You know, like loving my kids just doesn't happen naturally 100% of the time. Feeling the right way about them sometimes takes an ongoing choice to feel the right way about them. And it's the same with our walk with God. We can suppress emotions or we can encourage them. As a church, are we the kind of church that gives intellect prominence over emotion? Are you a a person who gives intellect prominence over emotion? This song is is a beautiful reminder that we need both. The Christian life is, is about truth and emotion coming together. Singing at church is about truth and emotion joining together. Preaching is about truth and emotion coming together. And whether you're reading your Bible on your own or in community group or with your kids, don't just think, what is this state of my mind? Also think, what is this state of my heart? How do I feel about this? How could I feel about this? This song, Psalm 23, it uses metaphor to speak both truth and emotion. So let's explore this metaphor in this song a bit more. 
And first of all, what we see is that there are actually two metaphors in this song. There's the metaphor that God is shepherd and, and so we are sheep. But the second metaphor is that God is the great host and so we are the guest. We see the, the first metaphor in verses 1 to 5. Look at verse 1 again. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now let me just say, if you're thinking of Australian farmers and Australian sheep, then the metaphor that David's using here will be lost on you. I've helped out farmer friends chase or harass, however you want to look at it, sheep from one paddock into another with motorbikes roaring and dogs barking and nipping. It's completely impersonal. And from a sheep's point of view, the less they see of the farmer, the better, I reckon. But the kind of shepherd-sheep relationship that David's talking about is completely different. It's one where the sheep would willingly follow the shepherd, would know their voice. David describes what it's like in verse 2. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. God provides him with good things, with, with what he needs, not necessarily with what he wants, but with the things that are, that are needed to refresh his soul. Notice how personal this song is. See, David doesn't write, God is our shepherd here. He writes, my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He refreshes my soul. It's a, it's a song that's written from a very personal perspective. You know, like we can try and separate truth and emotion in our, in our heads, we can also make the mistake of separating communal relationship with God and individual relationship with God. See, it's not one or the other. It's always both. There's the flock and there's the individual sheep. It's not all about the flock and it's not all about the individual sheep. Now, it would be a mistake to treat God like He exists just for me. And we are individualistic as a culture, and so, so we are drawn to do that in many ways, as if my relationship with God is the most important thing in the world and the flock around me doesn't matter. We're drawn to that. But, alternatively, we could attempt to relate to God as if we are only a part of the flock and that's it as if we have no personal relationship, no personal intimate connection with God. And you know what? Strangely, I think as a culture, we're also drawn to do that as well. Because as a culture, in many ways, we're scared of intimacy. Both approaches are completely wrong. The single most important thing in the world of a sheep back then was its shepherd. But at the same time, it's not just one sheep wandering around with one shepherd the sheep is still aware of the flock around it. So stepping out of the metaphor for a second, what this song shows us is that we need to relate to God personally. You know, it can be easy to just allow the group to relate to God on our behalf. I've got four kids and and one of them is quite happy to talk to people when they visit, make eye contact, tell stories, that sort of thing. And And the rest of the kids are quite happy to let him do it on their behalf and just kind of keep out of the way. They're quite happy with that arrangement. We could do that with God. Only we can't. God cares about the whole flock, but he wants each 
person to be personally, intimately connected to him. Now, we could come to church, we could take our place here amongst everyone, but we will miss the power of what this song is saying unless we can say with David, God is my shepherd. Can you? Can you say that with David? God is my shepherd. Maybe you're a teenager here and you've just travelled along through life, walking alongside your parents, but you've never really personally related to God. Let me say to you, your parents are not the shepherd that you need. They're just sheep. If that's you, it's time to look up and, and see the shepherd that you need in life. Now's the time to personally depend on him and love him and follow him as your shepherd. Or maybe you're here and you're just not sure where you're at with God. You know, you kind of like the idea of God. You like the idea of, of being able to know that everything will work out okay in the long run. You want to outsource your worry. But you've never actually personally surrendered everything, your life, to the shepherd. What he wants for you is to know him as your shepherd, to know him as your God, your world. There's no better time than now to personally know God as the shepherd of your life. Do you want that? As a church, that's, that's what we want for everyone. Our goal is not to grow and, and grow to be a, a huge flock of people. Our goal is to see a whole heap of people who personally know the shepherd. We want people to have that joy and that confidence and that peace in life. Not in a way that says it, it's all about me and it's all about my relationship with God and I don't really care about the rest of the flock because it's not all about us at all. We see actually what it's all about in verse 3 of the psalm. Often we miss this verse, even though it's so famous. This is a verse that we often just skip over. David writes, He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Why does God lead us down the right paths? For our sake? Well, yes, but ultimately for His name's sake. Because that's what's consistent with, with Him, with His character, with His name. He takes care of us because He's good and He's faithful and He wants to be true to who He is. It's not all about us. It's all about Him. And thank God it is. Because if sheep make it all about themselves and want to call the shots and if the shepherd were just to let the sheep go wherever they want to go, things get ugly fast. Because sheep are weak. They're vulnerable, and let's be honest, they're stupid. But when we realise who the shepherd is, who God is, when we realise what it's all about, when, when God is our world, that's when everything is right in the world. That's what this metaphor con conveys here. It conveys the idea that, that the shepherd is God's world. Do you get that sense? David's helpless and he's dependent, but... The Lord is powerful yet personal and the Lord has good things in store for him. We see this in verses 5 and 6 and, and this is where we see the metaphor switch as well. Have a look at verse 5. David writes, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. 
you anoint my head with oil. It's kind of like olden day moisturizer. My cup overflows. These, these are all imagery of, of exceptional hospitality. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now the metaphor here is that, that God is, is the great host and David is this privileged guest. God prepares a banquet for him, a, a kind of party for him. God treats him specially and he does it even in the, the eyes of his enemies so that they can see that David is special to God. And David is confident that God is going to go on treating him as special all the days of his life. For David, where would he say that the good life is found? Where's the party found? Where's happiness and and contentment and joy found? With God. Now we so easily accept the lie that God is not the great host. We accept the lie that God is the great party pooper. Because we so easily forget the character of God, as if God was trying to take away fun and life in this world. What an evil lie that really is when you think about it. Probably the first and greatest lie about God. It's a lie that's so deeply ingrained in this world that the life of someone who follows God is a life spent untangling that lie. It's a life spent rediscovering the truth that the true party has always been and will always be with God. You know that the devil can't create anything, don't you? We can't really create anything, not truly create anything. We can simply imitate the creator, the true creator. And he either leads us to do that in a way that shows the goodness and the, and the love of, of his character or we imitate him in a twisted way taking what he's made and and twisting it into something grotesque. God is the great host. The true party is found with him. It's not found somewhere else. Have you noticed, as we've been working through this psalm, as Meredith read it for us before, that there's this strange tension in this song? God is the great host, and yet, in verse 5, there are enemies God will care for his sheep and yet in verse 4 we read, even though I walk through the darkest valley. This, this word means deep, impenetrable gloom. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In this song, life brings enemies, evil and terrible dark times but nonetheless, still David can say in verse 6, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Somehow following this powerful and personal shepherd, it doesn't spare us from the struggles of life. There's enemies, there's death, there's evil, there's sickness, there's sin. They're all still a reality. But still, God's goodness and his love are with us. How does that work? Well, first notice how the song follows the reoccurring patterns of life starts with times of good pastures and still waters. There's times of of walking through dark places and there's times of coming through those dark places to banquets and celebrations. Probably all of us are in one of those times in our life right now. That's the shape of life in reoccurring patterns. 
But notice where the shepherd is at all those times. In the green pastures, where is he? Well, he's there. He's the one who's taken us there. In the dark valley, where is he? He's there. He's leading the way with his rod, which is like a club for, for whacking predators, and with his crook, which is used to guide the sheep. And at the party, where is he? Well, it, it's his party. It's his house, his food, his drink. David's confidence is, is overflowing because God is with him at every step of the way. Following God means that God's goodness and love will follow him. Literally here, David says that God's goodness and love will pursue him. Think about that. How do you feel about that? If you follow God, his goodness and love will pursue you through all your days. Things won't always go as we might want them to, but we'll never lack what we really need. And God's goodness and love will hunt you down, even if you run from him. In this song, you don't see the goodness of God first and foremost as as you look at the landscape around you. You know, there's green pastures, but there's also dark valleys. It's not the, the trail that shows us God's love. It's not the trail that gives us confidence. It's as we look directly ahead at at the one who goes ahead of us on the trail. Our confidence comes from knowing God and knowing what he's like. And we can know God and what he's like even better than David. God has shown his character to us even more than he he showed it to David. Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, as we look back at at Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, we've got even more reason than David to be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. We've got far, far more reasons to say, surely his goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I want to finish by asking you a couple of questions that that come out of this song. We might have every reason to say that, to say Jesus is my shepherd. But this is the first question. Who is actually your shepherd in life? Or what is actually your shepherd right now? Who is your world or, or what is your world? Who or what comforts you when you're worried? What reassures you that that everything's going to be okay? Who or or what do you think is going to lead you to to green pastures and still waters? Is it God? Or is it something else? Someone else? There could be all sorts of things that we could look look to for security in life or for guidance or for comfort. Like career, family relationship, money, pleasure, sport, writing, artistic expression, sexuality, intelligence, personality, you know, even things like shopping, even food. Or if I were to switch metaphors and ask it a slightly different way, where's the party at for you? Where's the good life? 
Is it with God or is it found somewhere else? Are God's goodness and and love pursuing you through life? And if not, what is pursuing you? Is there something else that's about to catch up with you? There's a, there's a silly parody of this song, and it's, it's pretty silly. But it's all about having a different shepherd. It goes like this. The TV is my shepherd. I shall not want. It makes me lie down on the sofa. It leads me from the faith. It destroys my soul. It guides me in the path of sex and violence for the sponsor's sake. Yea, though I walk in the shadow of Christian responsibilities, there will be no interruptions, for the TV is with me. Its cable and remote control, they comfort me. It prepares a commercial before me in the presence of my worldliness. It anoints my head with humanism and consumerism. My coveting runneth over. Surely laziness and ignorance shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house watching TV forever. Now, it goes overboard. It makes me feel a bit defensive of poor TV. Maybe that says more about me, I don't know. But it does touch a truth. The truth is, if we take God out of the picture, we won't have no shepherd. We will let all sorts of other things shepherd us, comfort us, guide us, make us feel secure. And they really can be as empty as TV. Or they could be meaningful things, but still they'll be unable to bear the weight of shepherding your soul. And when the dark days come, the question is, will your shepherd be up for the task? Listen to what Jesus goes on to say in John 10. He says, The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Any alternative shepherd that we come up with in this life is going to let us down. And in the end, it will cause us great harm. It will lead us to dark places and abandon us there. But Jesus is different because he cares for you. So much so that he he says, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and... I laid down my life for the sheep. See, we don't take heart in the green pastures of life and neither do we lose heart in the darkness of life. We take heart in the goodness and the love of the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. It says we fix our eyes on Jesus ahead of us on the trail, the one who lays down his life for us, that we know we can trust him in the shadows of life. No matter how dark they are, we can trust him anywhere. Jesus might lead you to hard places. But if he's your shepherd, he will only ever take you there out of goodness and love. And he will never, ever abandon you there. Other shepherds will still take us to hard places, but they will leave us there. When we follow Jesus, the goodness And the unbreakable, faithful love of God, the God who goes to the cross for us, will pursue us through life and through death forever. Doesn't that move your heart? Doesn't it fill you with confidence? Not self-confidence like the optimist, 
Not confidence in our circumstances, maybe like the pessimist. Confidence in him, our good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, it's not easy to trust you and to see your character for who you are. We believe the lie all too often. That the party is found elsewhere. That security is found elsewhere, Lord. And yet you really are the good shepherd that we need, that our lives need. We can't understand always why you take us on the paths that you do. But we know that because it is for your name's sake, we can be confident that you will not put us to shame, that you will not abandon us in dark places, but you will bring us through to that great party, the greatest of all parties, not just the ones we enjoy in this life that you bring us to, but that great party when Christ returns and we will dwell with you forever and ever. Lord, help us to trust Jesus as our shepherd and to shun false shepherds. Help us to see through them, to see that as good as they are and as meaningful as they may be, they cannot bear the weight of shepherding our soul. This year, Lord, help us to see clearly Jesus for who he is, the good shepherd who lays down his life for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.